we are a church that wants to make disciples. Amen? And so um, part of our goal here is to be a blessing to younger folks, give them an opportunity to stretch their wings and celebrate uh, what God has to speak through them. And I just want to make it very clear. There's no doubt in my mind that Austin is going to bring something to you that's from the Lord that I couldn't bring, that this is appointed and anointed for him to be here today. I ask that you would uh, just pray for him and encourage him and even take the time afterwards and let him know because I, Todd and I are just blessed. We've already heard part one of the sermon in a sense. We, we did a dry run here on during the week just so he could get used to it. It's weird, folks. If you haven't done it before, you hear your voice up in the sides. You've got something on your face. You're looking at a long way out in a sense. It's a, it's a real challenge. So I just want to, again, just give you an opportunity to welcome Austin. Give him a hand. Well, thank you. It's uh, just really an honor and a privilege to be here, um, to be a part of the Oasis family. Uh, it's been a privilege for me to serve with the youth and learn from awesome mentors and pastors here with Todd and Eric and uh, have Mama Donna take care of me, um, no matter what she calls me. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so before we get into it, let's, um, why don't you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this uh, chance to gather with the body, with uh, your people. Lord, I thank you that uh, you have given me this opportunity to be here. And Lord, uh, as we get into your word today, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you just open our hearts and minds and um, illuminate it for us, Lord, that you would give us your understanding of your word today um, in whatever way you know it needs to be on our hearts and on our minds. And not only that, but how it needs to affect how we live our lives. And Lord, I just think back to the song and how it says that we are in all of you, that we surrender our lives at your cross. And I can't help but thinking, uh, knowing what we're about to talk about is, is that true for us? Are we really in awe and have we really surrendered? Do we even, as we pray to you, think about and take the time to realize who it is we're talking to? That just as we celebrated with this past Christmas that you are the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the everlasting Father, wonderful Counselor, mighty God, and our Prince of Peace. Lord, that you are the Alpha and Omega. You are there at the beginning, before the beginning. Lord, that you have created everything. And not only that, that though you have created everything, you desire to know us, that you're a personal God who desires a relationship with us. And Lord, we just thank you for that, that we have this chance to even know you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get right into it. Um, so according to Forbes magazine, over 40% of Americans make New Year's resolutions, which to put that in perspective for you, about one third watch the Super Bowl. So like everybody watches the Super Bowl, it's really about one third and even more than that make New Year's resolutions. But here's the kicker, get this one, only 8% follow through. Right now, how many of us have been in that place where, I mean, it's going to be New Year's tomorrow, we're probably thinking about the things that we need to change or things we need to do. 
Um, and we know that come February, March, if you're really good, uh, maybe the end of January, if you're more like me, we're going to have days where we've, we've fallen through, where we've, we've missed a day, where we didn't feel like getting up. But let me ask you this. How many of us have done that with our faith? And I'm just going to, I've been there too. How many of us have said, okay, I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year, or uh, I'm going to serve in ministry more, or I'm going to get up at the crack of dawn and have an hour with God or 30 minutes with God before I start my day. And then we don't even make it out of January where we couldn't get up, where we haven't even gotten through most of Genesis and those things we haven't followed through. So me, so we, I'm going to say I, me here, I'm talking about myself. So me saying that I want to pray more or read more of the word or serve more really does nothing if I don't follow through. And truly, don't get me wrong here, these, those things are all great goals to have. But our real goal and what should drive us to be setting those goals for ourselves is our relationship with Christ. So because of that, for a couple years now, I haven't been making a New Year's resolution. What I've been doing instead um, is asking myself a question that I heard from a great and wise teacher um, who also speaks at Oasis. I asked myself this question, am I closer to Jesus and have I grown more in my faith compared to where I was last year? I'm going to say it again. Am I closer to Jesus and have I grown more in my faith compared to where I was last year? Or simply this, have I followed through as a disciple and follower of Jesus? Or to put it in sports terms, since we have a Super Bowl coming up, am I in the game or am I sitting in the bleachers? And so this morning, I want to walk you through a little bit of my life, how really I, I've, I've been in the bleachers. You know, even, even that time where I was here from the beginning of Oasis, when we were back over in the crystal queue and had to unpack everything every morning um, and put it all back, which was a joy, as those of you who are there know. Um, there were, I was in the bleachers. You know, I, I realized that I wasn't, necessarily living what I was saying. I, there were things that I was knowing and not doing. And so um, as we go through kind of my journey there, I would ask you to open to Matthew 7, 13, um, going down to 27. And so Matthew 7, 13 and, and 14, we're going to start there. And if you're one of our youth, um, you know these verses well, because our youth group is called 714. To remind us, of the, thank you guys. So let's pick up in verse 13. <clears throat> it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Verse 14. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And to get what Jesus is saying here, um, because he's really coming out and saying it. He, He's saying that there, there is a hard and narrow way that leads to life. And not many people are going to find it because that wide gate and that wide path is so much easier. It's so much more distracting and alluring than the narrow way. And I think, and this was the case for me, that many of us tend to forget that the way is narrow. And so we go through our lives going, having all these easy things 
and, and even hoping our lives are, are going to be easy or comfortable. And we forget that that's not at all what Jesus was talking about. It's the opposite. And see, we walk the narrow path, for those of us who are followers, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's nothing of ourselves. It, it all comes from him. So don't hear that we're talking about works here, but it is the power of the Holy Spirit that causes transformation. But here's this. The evidence that someone has entered through the narrow gate, and this is how we can determine this. If you've entered through the narrow gate, you're walking the narrow path. That's what Jesus says. It's, again, it's, it's pretty easy to understand there. You're not a spectator anymore, to go back to our sports analogy, but you're a participant. You're a player. For a time in my life, I was definitely a spectator to um, the Christian faith, to, to, to my faith, really. And see, I want you to get this, this idea that uh, the pastor Kyle Eidelman had talked about of, of a fan, right? So we're talking about sports here. We know fans, what, they watch the game, one, so they're spectators. Two, fans can know a lot about the team. They can know a lot about what's going on. I mean, I'm sure some of you guys know what the quarterback's going to throw before he throws it, know all the plays, can probably coach better than uh, Jim Harbaugh (laughs) and all those guys. Um, But here's the thing. At the end of the day, you're watching in your living room, and I think many of us have been guilty, or maybe even are guilty now, of watching our Christian faith on TV, in the living room, being couch quarterbacks and not really in the game. And the hard part here is Jesus doesn't care about having more fans. He doesn't, he doesn't need more fans. What he wants is disciples. Like Eric said, we're a church about making disciples. And those are people who are completely committed to Jesus, who are following after him, who are walking the narrow path. See, and fans, they don't mind small changes, you know, but Jesus wants complete transformation. You know, uh, for a while, I remember in my life, I was being a sometimes committed follower, a uh, if this thing you want me to do or to say, or uh, this thing you want to remove from my life doesn't cost me that much, that's all right, I can handle that or a, as long as I'm still able to do all the things that I want to do and give you some of my time and some of my talent and some of my treasure, Jesus, that's okay, but only as much as I'm comfortable with. Fans can be known by this kind of surface-level faith, and I'm doing quotation marks there because it really isn't a faith. Because here's the thing about faith. A real faith sinks into the very core of your being, into the depths of your heart, and takes a root there. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, it begins a change. It begins to cause a tangible change in your life. So it becomes clear that you're a new creation, like 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about, and that the old you is dead, and with it, so are the desires of the world. And you have a whole new set of desires, which the first and foremost of them being your relationship with Christ. And so I would admonish you, that if that isn't the case, if you're thinking, man, maybe that, um, I've been guilty of that. Well, I was right there with you for a time. And what you have is not really a real faith, but really more of a mask. This, this idea that we can walk through those doors 
and, and know all the right things to say or do or shake hands and smile and put our hands up at the right time. We know how to do the, uh, what is that, the Lion King and the hold the TV when the worship team builds <laughs> or goes down. And that's why I don't do jokes. Um, <laughs> Eric was right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but this is so important. And I think a lot of us miss this. Because Jesus said some hard things about fans all throughout Scripture. And we're going to take a look again in Matthew here. And so if I step on any toes as we're reading this, I'm just uh, reading the Bible, so it's really uh, God saying this and not me. Also, I want to let you know that when God hit me with this two-by-four of a wake-up call, in my life, he wasn't really worried about my toes. So maybe you can sympathize there. So let's pick up in verse 15. Jesus is talking about fans here. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Okay, so now we have an idea of how these people are going to be known. He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so it goes back to this idea of this mask and knowing the right words to say or doing good things. Not that it's bad to do good things. It's a great thing to do those good things, but it's also easy to be distracted by doing those things. See, if we're, we're always doing, thank you, man, praise God. <laughs> I was just about to give the nod to Evangeline there. Uh, it's easy to be distracted by even doing these good things that we can keep doing, keep learning, uh, keep memorizing, but that's not what we're called to. We have a different set of priorities, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And I realized I had done this uh, or I had been doing this, and this was what was going on in my life, and I was kind of living as this both sides of the fence Christian, which really isn't a Christian because there's really only one type of Christian, which is a completely committed follower, sold out, all in, on the field, and ready to leave it all out there for Jesus. And Jesus goes on, and he has some more um, tough things to say. So let's pick up in verse 21 here and get some more encouragement. <laughs> he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? In verse 23, and Jesus says, and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So to me, I don't, I don't know about you, but that's, that's a pretty scary thought that Jesus says this is going to happen. He doesn't even say maybe this is going to be the case. He says, no, there are going to be those people who say, Jesus, you know, on the, on the last day when he comes back to judge the earth, he says, there are going to be those people that say, Jesus, look at all those great things we did. Look at, look at where I did this, where I did that, and I served in this ministry. I helped this person. I gave to that. And he's going to say, 
Who are you? I never knew you. Because there was no relationship there. See, the Bible is all about knowing God more. And that's a follower's number one priority is our relationship with Christ. It's about knowing God more, not knowing more about God. Do you hear me there? So I'm gonna say it, I'm gonna say it one more time because I just like I need to repeat this to myself as well. It's about knowing God more, not knowing more about God. And so I want to take you back. Um, we do kind of the head, heart, hands part. So that was kind of our, our head knowledge there. And I want to walk you kind of through the, uh, the heart transformation that took place in my life of getting my priorities straight. And it really, um, just excuse me here for a second. That's awesome. All right. It came at a time in my life where my family was dealing with divorce. And, you know, my parents were uh, struggling with what they were going through. My siblings were struggling with all that. I was struggling with it. It was a rough time. Um, And yes, there was a lot of great teachers and friends and other family members and even pastors and youth pastors. But here was the thing, is that at the end of the day, the only person I had to completely trust in or rely on and go to was Jesus. I realized that there, there couldn't be any more of this fence where I could kind of like slide by in the Christian faith. I had to be completely committed. See, in a relationship, you probably know um, if you've ever had one or are in one now, and I tell this all the time to the youth kids, that in my relationship with my now wife, um, I have to be a part of it. I have to participate in it. I have to talk to her, spend time with her, love her. And what happens when we don't do that in a relationship? It, it fades away. It grows um, more distant over time. That's why long-distance relationships are hard. And I think a lot of times we kind of have those long-distance relationships with Jesus So there came a point in my life where I really had to have a DTR. Now, if unless you went to Liberty um, University like I did, that probably doesn't mean anything to you. But I'm going to break it down real quick. So DTR that stands for Define the Relationship. And if you were a student there, you know that that brings a lot of fear and anxiety and anticipation because it's usually what we would joke about and call the time where a guy who is looking to pursue a relationship with a young woman, um, you know, in biblical courtship, obviously, leading to marriage, um, in godliness, <laughs> on couches of green, um, sees, is going to see, to have a talk, and see where the relationship stands. They're going to set the terms for the relationship and kind of see, not see where it's going to go, but plan intentionally where, what it's going to look like, and where it's going to lead. And so I had to do that with Jesus um, around this time. And I realized I had to go all in. There was, there was no more skating by or getting through that was, that was going to work. There was, it wasn't just enough to know the right things to say or to be able to point to the right verse in the Bible or even have, them, have parts of it memorized and be able to tell you all 66 books, which I can't do anymore. Um, 
I had to go all in. I had to start being a participant. I had to be completely committed, not sometimes. Jesus had something to say about this too. And uh, we're going to flip over to Luke 14. You don't have to turn there unless you really, really want to. Uh, It should be up on the screen and I'll read it to you here. But uh, it says here, Now, great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, this is Jesus turning to them and saying, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Hard words. Let's keep going, though. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you Desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, and all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So first, I want to tell you what Jesus is not saying here. Jesus is not saying if you're going to be a follower of me, you have to go and hate your family. Like, don't, don't hate your family. It's, you're supposed to love your family. You're called to love them, uh, all of them, your friends, all that. And what Jesus is saying here is compared to your love for me, it should look like you hate everything else in your life. That's what he's saying. That's the standard he's setting there. And see, I think a lot of us, you know, if I was to ask you, so what are like the big relationships in your life? What's your priorities there? We would give the answer that we all know and have probably said before that we have God at the top, obviously. Then we have our spouse, of course. And then we have maybe children if we have those. Uh, Then ministry, then job, then friends, then other relatives. Um, (laughs) That's not true. But what Jesus is saying here is your priority should look more like this. God, and then everyone else starts here. Here's your spouse where this person starts. That next most important person in your life should start, there should be a huge gap between those relationships. Jesus is talking about, to these people, about counting up the cost, about how if you choose to follow me, there's going to be things that you have to give up, things you're not going to be able to do anymore. Um, relationships, it might cost you. He's coming right out and saying, he's, he's being up front. He's not like pulling back the curtain after you make the decision. He's saying, this is what it's going to take to follow me. And there were things that it cost me when I made that decision. When I had that define the relationship talk with Jesus, I knew there were things that he was going to begin removing from my life. And it's been a process, and it's definitely not complete yet. But there's been things that it has cost me. There's been relationships. There's been friendships. There's been opportunities, even jobs at times. But through it all, I can say it was worth it because of the tremendous blessing that has come out of it that I don't regret giving up or sacrificing any one of those things because I've seen what God has done in his designs when he asked me to give those things up. I think we, we often look at, at uh, the Bible as a list of maybe 
things we can't do or do's and do nots or can's and cannot haves and all this stuff when really it's a design. Jesus says, I came um, so that you would have life and have it more abundantly if we follow those designs. And in following those designs and giving up those things, one of the greatest examples of the blessing that has come from me from it um, is sitting right over there and married me two months and two days ago. And it's 24 hours, no, 23 hours ago. It's getting close. Uh, 21 hours ago, sorry. Um, I'm masking on my strong suit. Jesus was talking to, to put this little bit that Jesus is saying here about counting the cost. He was talking to these people right after he had just done the miracle with the fish and the loaves there and their children there. So it was maybe 20, 20 25,000 people. And he did this miracle with just a couple loaves of bread and a few fish. And, they, and he fed them all. But here's what, what happened. He goes and says this hard stuff about counting up the cost, about what it takes to truly follow after him. And a lot of them left. So why, why would they leave? Well, the answer to it's really simple. Those people wanted what Jesus was offering. They wanted the benefits and not the relationship. They wanted the good stuff, but not the hard stuff. They wanted the, the nice things, the great stuff that Jesus could do. They liked the miracles and the teaching, and it was maybe the fad of the day to follow this r- crazy rabbi from Nazareth and see what he was going to do next. But when the rubber really met the road, they were like, you know what, I, I don't really want it that much. They drew a line and said, Jesus, you can only come this far. I only want this much of you. It kind of reminds me of... Um, <clears throat> How have you ever seen uh, a little kid and, and they're, they're playing with bubbles, right? And they blow a bubble and the bubble's like floating out here. And what do they do? They like run after it like this and they get to it and they go to grab it. And what happens? It pops. And then you have just a soapy, sticky toddler. And I think we do that in our lives. A lot of times. I know that I'm going to speak for myself again. I know that I've been guilty of this. That I've chased bubbles of things that I thought I was going to find satisfaction in. Things that I thought I needed to be more complete or whole or were going to bring me joy or were going to make me a better man or whatever they were. But when I, when I went to, to grasp them, you know, maybe it was a college education and I get there and it pops. Maybe it was a new vehicle. I get there, it pops. It was a relationship with this person. Get there, it pops. Because satisfaction really only comes from Jesus. And so I would ask you this morning, what are some of those bubbles that you have chased? You know, I'm sure there are different ones that you have, and this will be the, where you get to participate. And if you have one of those, what are some of those bubbles? Anybody? I'm the only one who does that. All right. Well, here's the thing about those bubbles. Sometimes we need Jesus to pop them for us. Just like we need him to define the relationship, how in this 
part in Luke where he's setting the standard. He's showing where the relationship's going to go. He's showing what it's going to take to have that relationship. We need him to show us those bubbles in our lives that need to be popped. Maybe we're chasing one right now. Maybe you've got one. Maybe you're thinking of one right now and you, you didn't raise your hand, which is okay. We're going to work on that. Um, and, and you need him to pop it for you. You need him to show you that that thing is, is temporary. It's not lasting. It's going to fade away. Whether it's a new iPhone, guess what? They're going to make a new one. It's going to be the iPhone, what are they on, X, Y? Who knows? Um, iPhones get old. And like I've said to the youth, they have those little fidget spinners. And I'm sure if you're a parent, you've seen them. And you, you flick them, and they spin, and that's it. Uh, I really thought there was going to be more to it. But the thing was, they were all the craze, right? Everybody had to have one. All the kids in FCA had one. All the kids in youth had one. And I asked them about it a little while after that, and... Uh, they were like, yeah, they're not a big deal anymore. See, it was, they were just temporarily exciting. There was no satisfaction in fidget spinners, no matter how many you have. Now they're just junk filling up a shelf. Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So as we wrap up here, my question to you would be, if someone were to look at your life, where would they see that your treasures are? So someone that doesn't know you just is watching you. Maybe they're um, a coworker. Maybe there's someone here, a family member, someone who doesn't know Christ. When they look at your life, where do they see that your treasures are? Where are you giving your energy, your time, your resources, your talents? What are they focused on? Are they things that are temporary and going to fade away? Or are they things that are in a hundred years are still going to matter? Are they things of eternal importance? Are we focusing on the kingdom of God and trusting that when we do that, everything that we need is going to be taken care of? Those things will be added to us. Jesus promises that. Next question. Do you truly desire a deep and real relationship with Jesus? Or do you kind of want a more casual, no strings attached relationship with him? And you don't have to answer that, but, well, you're going to have to answer it to yourself. Um, do you say, Jesus, all right, you know, you can, you can come this far. Or Jesus, I'm all in. And lastly, have you allowed Jesus to define your relationship or are you the one setting terms for it? Are you saying, you know, Jesus, I really only want the good things, but when it gets hard, I've got to do my own thing. You know, that, that ultimately I'm going to be the judge on the seat of my heart, not you. That really, I know better. And I can tell you my life, every time I thought that I knew better <laughs> led to pain and led to suffering. But every time I, I let Jesus pop those bubbles, remove those things from my life, it has led to flourishing time and time again. I think about the song that we, we sung earlier. Um, at the cross, we, we surrender our lives. <clears throat> and how 
where his, his love ran red and our, sin, our, our stains washed white. How Jesus paid it all already. That it's, it's taken care of. All that he's really asking of us is that we repent, that we turn from our wickedness, our old ways, and start a new life. That we repent, confess, or confess, repent, and believe. So as we leave today, I would encourage you to think about those things and ask yourself the question, are you closer to Jesus? Have you grown more as a disciple and follower this year? Are you closer to him now than you were last year? And think about this too. This time next year, what do you want that answer to be to that same question? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, you, you truly have given us your designs, that you have, you have pointed us in the right direction, that, that all you require of us is, is to repent, confess our sins, repent of them, turn away from them, and believe in who you are and what you've done for us, that it was all accomplished on the cross, that you took the debt that we owed and and the wrath that was reserved for us in our place. Lord, help us, those of us who are walking that narrow path, to one, stay on it, and two, to be able to answer to that question, have we gotten closer to you in this past year? Yes, every time. Let that be our new desire because those of us who are new creations, you say you give us new desires. Let that be our desire to to know more um, of who you are, to know you better and deeper, more intimately, and not just know more about you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.